Ashley Brockman, Diane Palmer's book. Tough to tame, chapter 8. Cappy didn't sleep, of course. She was replaying the last 48 hours in her mind all night. Sick with worry about Kel. It was her fault that Frank Bartlett had ever gotten near them. If only she hadn't seen so flattered by his attention, so crazy about him that she ignored Kel's warning. If only she hadn't gone out with him at all. Pity, she thought, the, that people couldn't set the clock backward and erase all the stupid things they did. Like getting involved with Dr. Bentley Riddle, for example, she told herself. That surprised her to find him at the hospital. Somebody in Jacobsville must have told him what had happened, and he felt sorry for her. Maybe he wasn't willing to overlook her summary. Smarty passed long enough to check on her brother's condition. That didn't mean he believed her innocent or wanted to get involved with her again, which was just as well, she told herself, because she certainly wanted nothing more to do with him. She got up and dressed in the same clothes she'd worn the day before. She hadn't packed anything. She'd have to call Keely and ask her to go to the house and pack a few items of clothing for her and Kel, but she'd make sure Keely got an armed person to go with her in case Frank was waiting around to see if Kathy turned back up. When she opened her bedroom door, the two men were arguing over the coffee in the tiny little coffee pot that came with coffee as a perk for staying in the hotel. There's not enough for three people. That I was muttering, refusing to let go of the pot. Then you can get yours at a cafe because I'm having mine here, the other man said coolly. We're all having ours at the hospital because I'm leaving right now, Cappy informed him, starting for the little. See what you get for starting a fight. Now neither of us is having coffee, <laughs> that I scuffed as he turned off the coffee button and put the little cabbage back in it. You started it first, the other man said coldly. Cappy ignored the man and opened Hold it right there! Dead Eye was in front of her in a heartbeat, his hand under his jacket as the tall man walked into view in the hall. He stood immobile, waiting, but it wasn't Frank. It was another man, and a woman, and a child suddenly appeared behind him and started talking to him. Nice day, Dead Eye told him with a smile. Huh? Oh yeah, the man smiled back and heard his family ahead of him down the hall. Dead Eye stood aside to let Cappy out. Wait until one of us makes sure it's safe, he told her in a content. Man, you commit battery without fear of arrest. I'm usually not planning to go back to prison. If you get my drift, you might decide a bullet is better than a fist. Sorry, she said I didn't think. That's what we're here for, the other man said, following her out the door and closing. What was looking for you? What are you thinking just then? Then I cried. The other man indicated his sleeve. The little large knife was in his palm. He flexed the sand, and it snapped back in place. Learn that from Zyborg, she said. Tell me everything I know. Then why? Then what are you doing with that? Learning diplomacy, he said to his scrutiny. They say, my attitude needs work. Then I opened his mouth to speak. Cappy beat him to it. Anything I need in an attitude adjustment, she exclaimed. The other man shifted. We should get to the hospital. Cappy just smiled. So did Deadeye. When they got to the hospital cafeteria, it was already full. One of the tables was occupied by a somber Dr. Riddle moving eggs around on a plate as if he couldn't decide between eating them or throwing them. Cappy straight as heart jumped at the sight of him, but she didn't let her pleasure show. She was still fuming about his assumption of her guilt without any proof except the word of a man who was a stranger. He looked up and saw and grimaced. What made a fresh game for you, did I? asked presently. I can do it discreetly. Yeah, like you discreetly for that guy at the airport. The dark-haired man muttered. It's an easy win. I apologize, Dead Eye resorted, for after security showed up. Well, after, but he said he understood how I might have mistaken him for an international terrorist. He was wearing a Hawaiian shirt and flip-flops. The best disguise on earth for a spy and I ought to know. I used to live in Fiji. Did you really, Cappy? I was fascinated. I've always wanted to go there. Have you? Then I looked past at Bentley, who'd gone up from the table and was moving toward him. That might not be a good... That now, 
not be a bad time. He paused Billy had dark circles on his eyes from lack of sleep, but he was just as arrogant as ever. He stopped in front of Cappy. I'd like to talk to you for a minute. She didn't want to talk to him and almost repeated her words from the night before, but she was tired and worried and a little afraid of Frank. Didn't matter now. Anyway, her life in Jacobsville was already over. She and Kel would start over again here in San Antonio once the threat was over. All right, she said, I'll only be a minute, guys, she told Deadeye and his partner. You can, you can get coffee. Finally, they gurgled. I'm having caffeine withdrawal. Is that why you look so ugly? The other man taunted. They moved off, still fencing verbally. Who are they? Bentley asked as he seated her at his table. Bodyguards, she said. Epscott loaned them to me. Want coffee? Please? Went to the counter, got coffee and a sweet roll, and put them in front. You have to eat, he said when she started. I know you like those. You bring them to work in the morning sometimes when you have to eat on the run. She shrugged. Thanks. He pushed sugar and cream to her side of the table. I found the nurse's desk on the way here on my cell phone, she said weirdly. They said Kel's having his bath and then breakfast, so I'll have time to eat before I went up to see him. I talked to him briefly last night, he said. She lifted her out. It's family only. They posted it on the door. Oh, that. I told him I was you, his brother-in-law. She glared at him over her coffee as she had a cream. Well, they let me in, he said. She lifted the cup and sipped it. The hot coffee with an expression of absolute delight on her face. He was about as friendly as you are, he said. I screwed up. She nodded. With a vengeance, she added, still glaring. Pushed his plate of cold scrambled eggs to one side. His pale blue eyes were intent on her gray ones. After what happened to me, I was down on women for a long time. When I finally got to the stage where I thought I might be able to trust one again, I found out that she was a lot more interested in what I could give her than what I was. His face on you get gun-shy after a while, and I didn't know you, Cappy. We had a supper a few times, and I took you to a carnival, but that didn't mean we were close. She stared at the roll and took a bite of it. It was delicious. She chewed and swallowed and sipped coffee, all without answering. She thought they were getting to be close. How dumb could she be? She went a long breath and said, Maybe we were getting close. She meant, the trust comes hard to me. She put down the cup and met his eyes. He went, how hard do you think it, it comes to me? She asked boldly. Frank beat me up. He broke my arm. I spent three days in the hospital. Then at trial, his defense attorney tried his best to make it look as if I deliberately, deliberately provoked poor Frank by refusing to go to bed with him. Apparently that was enough to justify assault in his mind. You didn't sleep with him. Claire took on No! I think people should get married first! He looks stunned. She flushed over her eyes. So I live in the past, she muttered. Kel and I had deeply religious parents. I don't think he took all any of it to heart, but I did. You don't have to justify yourself to me, he said. Well, my mother was like you. I'm not trying to justify myself. I'm saying that I have an idealistic attitude toward marriage. Frank thought I owed him sex for a nice meal and got furious when I wouldn't cooperate. And for the record, I didn't even really provoke him. He beat me up because I suggested that he needed to drink a little less beer. That was all it took. Kel barely got to me in time. He let out a little breath. My stepfather hit my mother once for burning the bacon when they were first married. I was 15. What did she do? She told me. I took him about and knocked him around the yard for five minutes and told him if he did it again, I'd load my shotgun and we have another shorter conversation. He never touched her again. He also stopped drinking. I don't think that would have worked with Frank. I rather doubt it. He studied her worn, drawn face. You've been through hell. 
and I haven't helped for what is worse. I'm sorry. I know that won't raise what I said, but maybe it will help a little. Thanks. She finished her old coffee, but when she got through, she put two dollars on the table and pushed them toward him. No. He explained his high cheekbooks flushing as he recalled with painful clarity his opinion of her as a gold digger. I pay my own way despite what you think of me. She said with quiet pride. She said, money doesn't mean so much to me. I'm happy if I can pay bills. I'm sorry I gave you the impression that I do anything for it. I won't. She turned and left him sitting there with his own harsh words echoing in his mind. Kel was lying on his stomach in bed. His bruises were much more obvious now, and he was pale and weak from the surgery. She sat down beside him in a chair and smiled. How's it going? She asked him. Badly, he said with a little. Hurts like hell, but they think I might be able to walk again. They have to wait until I start healing and the bruises are based before they know for sure, but I can wiggle my toes. He smiled. I'm not going to prove it because it hurts. You can take my word for it. Deal. She pressed back his unkept hair. Your old boss came by last night, he said coolly. He explained what happened. I gave him an earful. So did I. He's back. I'm not surprised. He was pretty contrite. Contrite. I won't. It won't do any good, she said suddenly. I for, won't forget what he said to me. He didn't believe me. Apparently, he's had some hard knocks of his own. Yes, that explains it, but it doesn't excuse it. Point taken. He glanced past you toward the door. You've got bodyguards. Yes, some of them Scots guys. They don't like each other. Chad has a chip on his shoulder and Rook likes to take potshots at it. Which is which? Yes, Rook lost an eye overseas. Oh, that eye. He chuckled in the woods. That's what he calls himself. He's got quite a history. He worked for the CIA over in South Pacific for several years. Now he's trying to get back in. His language skills are rusty, and he's not up on the latest communication protocols, and he's studying with them. Chet, on the other hand, is trying to land a job doing private security for overseas embassies. He has anger issues. Anger issues. He tends to slug people who make him angry. Doesn't go well in embassies. I can understand that, she found. How do you know them? Said, That's a long story. We'll have to talk about it when I get out of here. She was adding up things and getting uncomfortable to tell. Kyle, you weren't working for a magazine when you went to Africa, where are you? She said he is. That's one of the things we'll talk about, but not right now, okay? She relented. He did look very rocky. Okay. She laid a gentle hand on his muscle. You are my brother and I love you. That won't change, even if you tell me blatant lies and think I'll never know about them. You do job for your own good. I've been told that. Don't stray from your bodyguards, he cautioned. I have to agree with them. I think Frank's not planning to go back to jail. He'll do whatever it takes to get even with you, and then he'll try suicide by a cop. That would be better than death, certainly. Frank has anger issues, too. She flicked the, the arm he broke. I noticed. Don't take chances. Promise me. I promise. Please get well. Being an orphan is bad enough. I can't lose you, too. I'm not going anywhere after all. I've got a book to finish. I have to get well in order to do that. She hesitated. Cal, you wouldn't come here and try to finish the job he did on you? She asked I have company. You do? Move it, you military rejects. Came a deep voice from the door. A tall, familiar-looking man with silver eyes and jet black hair moved in the room, dressed in boots and jeans and camrazer, carrying a foam cup of coffee. Kill Raven, she asked, aren't you working? He shook his head, not today. He said, I had a couple of vacation days off, so I'm babysitting your brother. Thanks, Ted, with the broad grin. I'm getting something out of it, he chuckled. I'm stuck on the middle level of a video game, and Kill knows how to crack it. Is it Halo OTSD? Did I ask. I beat it. 
Yeah, on the easy level, I bet. Chit-chat. I did it on normal for your information here. Well, I did it on legendary, Killmutter. So shut up and take care of my sister or wipe the floor with you when I get back on my feet. Then I gave him a neat salute. Chet shrugged. See you later, Cappy said, kissing her brother's cheek. Where are you going? Yes. On a job interview, she said gently. Brenda's boss might have something part-time. Are you sure you want to move back here? Yes, she's like, good luck then. Thanks, see you, Kill Raven. Thank you, too. He went, keep your gunpowder dry. Tell them, she pointed out two opinions. Hey, guns, bite your tongue, Kill Raven said in mock horror. She made a face and went out the door. Two companions right behind her. Bentley met them at the other. Where are you going now? He asked. Your pen of you, Rook said for her. You can't leave the clinic. And he said, I don't have anybody to replace you yet. That's your problem, she shot back. I don't want to work for you anymore. He looked haunted. Besides, Colonel Abbey's back to San Antonio as soon as he heals, she said stubbornly. It's too far to commute. Really, he looked even more worried. He didn't say anything. Aren't you supposed to be at work? She had Dr. King's filling in for me, he said. Until when? His pale eyes glittered. Until I can convince you to come home where you belong. Please hold your breath. She walked around him into the next open elevator. She didn't even look to see which direction it was going. It was going up. She was stuck between two oversized men and two perfume-soaked women. She started to cough before the woman got off. The men left two floors later, and the elevator slowly started down. Wasn't that heaven? Rook said with a dreamy smile and hailing there. I love perfume. It makes me sick, Chet muttered, sniffling. Makes me cough, Cappy agreed. Well, obviously, you two don't like women as much as I do. Rook scuffed. They both glared at him. He raised both hands, palms out into the fence and grinned. The elevator stopped at the cafeteria again, and Bentley was still there smoldering. Cappy glared at him. It didn't help. He got on the elevator and pressed the down button. Where do you think you're going, Cappy asked. On a job interview, he said guffily. Maybe they need an extra veterinarian where you're applying. Does this mean that you're not marrying me? <laughs> Requelled in mock misery. Bentley gave You're marrying him? He explained. I'm not marrying anybody, Cappy muttered. Bentley shifted restlessly. You can marry me, he said without looking at her. I'm established in a profession, and I don't carry a gun. He had her looking pointedly at the bottom of Rook's big 45 auto nestled under his armpit. So am I, established in a profession, Rook argued. I know how to use a gun isn't a bad thing. Diplomats don't think so, Chet muttered. That's only until other people start shooting at them and you save their butts, Rook told him. Chet prayed. I hadn't thought of it like that. Come on, Cappy groaned with the elevator. I swear, I feel like I'm leading a parade. Anybody got a trombone? Rook asked the people waiting around the elevator. Cappy caught his arm and dragged him along with her. They took a cab to the veterinarian's office. The car was full. The men were having a conversation about video games, but they left Cappy behind when they mentioned information they found on the internet about how to impo do impossible things with the equipment in the Halo series. Using grenades to blow a scorpion up onto a mountain, she exclaimed. Hey, whatever works, Rook argued. Yeah, but you have to shoot your buddies to get enough grenades. Just That's not ethical. This, from a guy who lifted a placement's right gun right out of the trunk of his car. Rook said, I never lifted it, I borrowed it. Anyway, everybody was shooting rifles or shotguns, only out of 45. He's going, everybody else's was bigger than his. Rook translated with an angelic pose. Chet hit his arm. Stop that. 
See what he can't get a job with diplomats, but keep holding his arm in Mark Payne. I'm amazed that either of you can get a job. Cappy commented. You really need to work on your social skills. I'm trying to, but she won't marry me. Rook crumbled. Of course she won't. She's marrying me. Bentley said him smugly. I am not, Cappy explained. No woman is going to marry a veterinarian when she can have a dashing spy. Rook commented. Do you know one? Bentley asked calmly. Rook glared at him. I can be dashing when I want to, and I used to work for the CIA. Yes, but those weaving floors count as a real job. Chip one in there. You ought to know. Rook told the other man. Isn't that what you did in Manila? I was the president's bodyguard. And didn't he end up in the hospital? We're here. Cappy said loudly, and he carried one of the cabs off. And the right is Dutch treat. She said, I'm not paying cab for fare for bodyguards and stubborn hang-oners. Who's a hang? Who's a hang on up? Rook asked. But Cappy was already out of the cash. Three men followed her when they settled their part of the affair. She walked into the veterinarian's front office where Kate Snow was still holding down the job of receptionist. She was 24, tall, brunette, and had soft green eyes and a pleasant rather than pretty face. She's mom. Hi, Cappy. She agreed to come to visit your old stomping grounds. Actually, I'm here to apply for something part-time, she played. Princess said that, but I didn't believe her, Kate replied. You just moved to Jacobsville. Well, I'm moving back. I'll buzz Dr. Lammer, she said, and pressed a button on the phone. She spoke into the receiver, nodded, spoke again, and hung up. He's with a patient, but he'll be out in a minute, she looked past Cappy. Can I help you, she asked the three men. I'm with her. Me too. I'm applying for a job too, Bentley said. I thought you might need an extra vet. He's fine. Who are you? Kate asked surprised. He's my ex-boss, Cappy muttered. You're Dr. Rydell? Kate explained. But you have your own practice in Jacobsville. I do, but if Cappy moves here, I'll move here. He said stubbornly. We might move here, too. Rook interrupted. I can interview for a job here, too. I can type. Liar, says it. He can't type. I can learn. All you know how to do is shoot people. Jessica, sir, it's illegal to carry a concealed weapon. Kate began nervously. Gave her his most charming smile. I'm a professional bodyguard, and I have a permit. If you'd like to see it, I'll take you to this lovely little French brousseau downtown, and you can look at it while we eat. <laughs> Kate stared at him as if she'd grown horns. There's a guy stalking her, she told her. We're going to catch him if he tries anything and turn him over to local law enforcement. Stalking you, Kate Simmer. Cappy glared at the two men. Thank you so much for making me an employment liability. Rook made her, her a bow. She had just glowered. Bentley beamed. I don't mind employing you. Not one bit, Bentley said. These two guys can work for the groomer and we'll protect you. I'm not grooming anything. Chet told him bluntly. Okay, then you can deal with Shirley clients. Bentley compromised. Chet gave him an appropriate look. Actually, I know how to groom things. Rook said. I want to shave the monkey. Cappy hit him. There you are. Renesley coming out the back in a green and blue polka dotted lab coat. I talked to Dr. Lammers, but he said we've already got more part-timers than we can spare. I'm so sorry. He shouted miserably. What's your address? Bentley asked. I'll send you flowers. I thought you wanted to marry her, Chet pointed out at Cappy. Brenda's eyes went, Who are you? She asked the doctor. I'm a hired assassin! Rook <laughs> finished for him. I don't kill people, I just shoot them. Check it out. I only wound them, Rook added. Are we going back to Jacobsville then? Who are these men? Brenda asked again. Well, these two are my bodyguards, she indicated. That's my ex boss. Why is your ex boss here? She said, assaulting. <sighs> 
He was going to get a job here too, but there are no openings for part-timers or vets. So I guess we're all going back to Jacobsville, Captain Simmonsway. That is, if Frank doesn't shoot me first. <laughs> Nobody's shooting you, Rookie. You can bet on that, Jet said. Brenda's fine. Thanks. She's my best friend. Captain Yager. Thanks. Anyway, for trying. I'll call you. See you, Kate. Kate waved as she picked up the ringing telephone. Her eyes were still broken. Grinned at her. Come on, let's go, Cappy told the man. How's Kel? Brenda asked, walking the man. He's going to make it. We don't know if he can walk for several days, though. If you have to go home, I'll visit him for you. I can't leave just yet, Cappy said. Not so we find Frank. Brenda stayed a bit late. It was all smiles. Aren't you going back to your... Aren't you going back to your practice? When we find Frank... He commented pleasantly. You're not part of this bodyguard unit, Chapter Minor. I am now, Bentley assured him. His eyes moved over Cappy. I'm in it until the end. Cappy hated the rush of pleasure that comment gave her, so she disguised it by hugging Brenda and promised to keep in touch. End of chapter eight.